So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Welcome back, and it's another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast, and myself and Leo, and we'd like to welcome a special guest on this podcast. Leo, do you, do you want to introduce for some of our listeners who may not have heard of, heard of this name before? I've uh, rarely seen in recent times, occasional podcast attendee, our special guest, older brother Toby. Welcome back. Welcome back. He back. lives. He lives. I'm back. I had a good you... holiday in Greece. I'm sorry to make you guys jealous. It, it was tough for me as well. Um, but very tanned and ready to go. Well, I hope you've brought some uh, rugby analysis some and perspective. Hot takes from the med. Yeah, we've just been sitting here just nailing all our predictions, so we're nice, nice to get some variety into the show. Not sure you got this. Got the Reds one though, did you on the weekend? I think everyone took the Brumbies. That was a hell of a shake up there. Good, well, well deserved. I think they did. Um, they did pick apart the Brumby set piece, which we did talk a lot about as being a key yeah. for them to to overcome their opponent. Which uh, was good to see. It was uh, maybe an obvious take, but nonetheless, pretty critical taking down the Brumbies. Absolutely, and that's the end of um, the regular season of Super Rugby AU now, and it started off with almost sort of a. Cinderella story on Saturday afternoon at Newcastle. Um, we talked about it last week, how it's the home of upsets in Australian rugby, and it almost proved once again, with the force coming out strong and the Rebels really struggling to convert a lot of possession, a lot of territory um, into a win in this game. They they did eventually make it. It took a lot of TMO decisions. Uh, it took a lot of replays on Angus Gardner's back to finally get a win for the Rebels, but they managed to win, convert a try after the whistle, and they win by those precious four points that they needed to do uh, to to seal themselves a place in the finals. And it's a uh, first time into the finals in eight years for the for the Melbourne Rebels. I think it's fitting for this team that they only just got there by the bare minimum margin. Um, this is a team that hasn't been consistent. They've had their high high moments and low moments, and they looked like they were going to lose this one, and I was absolutely cheering for the force. I really wanted to see them get a win for the season. I think they were deserving. They they played a really solid game. They are guys who we've, we'd sort of seen falling out of form uh, in the recent weeks, really stepped it up, and, and they played as a team to, to shake up the Rebels and, and keep them out of contention for much of this game. And I guess the, the Rebels were just relentless at the end, uh, managed to possess the ball and draw advantage continuously. And every time there was a held up or an uncertain grounding of the ball that they knew at least they had the advantage, they were coming back for another line out or another scrum. And it was just a matter of time. So a little bit disappointing. The force, I think, deserved more than eight losses in this competition. Uh, and hopefully we'll see them again. And that also knocks out the Waratahs. Yeah, I was sad. I watched the last 15 minutes of this and, I mean, it did feel inevitable that the, the Rebels would get there in the end, like the amount of decisions that went upstairs and how close they were to the line, but I'm still unconvinced by them. I, I think you guys feel the same way. That yeah. They, they're, just, they're just unimpressive in a lot of facets of the game and I, I feel like Vessels was just so relieved because I think he, he might have lost his job if they didn't pull this one off. Yeah, Vessels was sweating bullets in, in the box. The the cameras were smart enough to turn to him all the way through the final 10 or 15, and it was just constant agitation and getting up and head down and turning around and just really, really unsettled and unhappy. Um, looked like he was having a really tough time watching his guys flop about and, and not uh, put a stamp on this game. And to me, it just also emphasises how the Rebels just don't have any character. Like, I don't know who the Rebels are. They're a different team every week. They have talented individuals, but as a team, they're just, like, they're they're less than the sum of their parts. And I, I just don't know 
what what they stand for, what their style is. They're just inconsistent. Whereas the Brumbies and the Reds, and even the Waratahs coming through later in the in the Super Rugby AU competition, developed some character and, and a style of play. The Rebels are just, I don't know. There's, it's so it... hard to get behind a team like that. It's just not endearing at all. Yeah, I don't know if it's is it character or is it just is that from the outside in like. Do you think the group has a good spirit about it? I know that Vessels is, I think, pretty well liked within the playing group, but it does feel like they're a very vanilla team. And I think they've been underperforming for countless seasons now. Is that Vessels' fault? Is that something you can, you know, leave all the responsibility with him? Or is it these players that a lot of them are still making the Wallabies, but the inconsistency with their performances within this team, I think... Is just leading to a, yeah, just a quality of rugby that just isn't to standard with the top couple of teams in Australia. Yeah, I, I can't speak for the the individuals. Like I think a lot, like you're right, a lot of them are well liked. There's a reason they keep getting brought back into the Wallabies is most likely because they're really good team men. They and they do contribute and they bring energy. I just think it's that lack of identity that the Rebels have not developed a particular identity and maybe when when times are tough if you if as a team if you don't really know what your identity is what do you fall back on how do you get back to basics how do you all rally around one another and just regroup whereas the brumbies when they're under pressure they know how they regroup the rebels sorry the the reds um have this this developing identity where they tough everything out and they're just in for each other um it's very much an outside in view but I, I just wonder what the Rebels feel like they are because from the outside in, I, I just don't know what their identity is. And that's what I mean. I think it might be just from the outside in. I think maybe they feel that they do have an identity and a character and they are kind of a team that people like to watch, but I, I just don't see it. Like, we have a real affinity for the Reds now, um, even You're though we're, we're Waratahs forwards. And that's... I mean, I think that's come across from Brad Thorne playing State of Origin for Queensland. He has a real, um, a real understanding of what an identity is for, to be a Queenslander. Um, and I think he's brought that across to the Reds and maybe they lost that for a period of time under Ewan McKenzie or whoever was coaching in that transitional period Smiles. and now they have it back. But has, have the Melbourne Rebels ever really had an identity since their inception? I, I can't remember a time where I really feel that they have. They've... They've had periods of really great footy, um, often with guys like you know, Cipriani performing for a couple of games or Quade Cooper, and then they seem to just go... They don't seem to progress. They seem to really climb a little mountain and then just fall down the other side, and then they have to do it again. And, yeah, it's it's just so up and down with them. Yeah, it's, it is, if anything, just like the stars and, you know, they're showy, but they never, they're not able to maintain that. Do you think it's partly we feel that way because we haven't yet seen a generation of Rebels coming up through the club? Like, every year we just get a different group of stars sort of stuck together, sort of here. We have people like Haylett Petty that's been there for a while, but in the end, like, he came across from the force. Hodge is there. Hodge is really one of the only ones where he's been there, you know, what, five years now, longer? He's... The leading try scorer, I think, for the club. Like he's he's pretty much in every game when he's healthy. Um, but apart from that, you kind of you have this weird influx of re- uh, force players. Throw in a few South Africans that Vessels has recruited, um, and a few flagships guy guys that come and go. Like Beal has, like O'Connor has, like Cipriani has. At the moment, it's Tamua, um, and I'm sure he's probably going to move on quite shortly as well. Whether that be back overseas or whatever, and it just doesn't feel. Like, they have that continuity. Mm. Like, they have a five-year plan. I don't see it. I see it a bit with the Waratahs now. I definitely see it with the Reds. I think the Brumbies are in their peak period almost and building towards a real peak of performance. But the Rebels just seem to... Yeah, there's no continuity there that I can see. Um, And, yeah, I don't hold much hope for them. There there are some names coming up that seem to be new names that have just come up from the Rebels that are now coming up every week. And it's it's people like, you know, the new hotness with Trevor Jose at the moment has put in... Is Brad Wilkin? Brad Wilkin was a Waratah. He was at the task down before there after a few injuries. Okay. But still, 
Um, I think Cameron Orr, the loose head prop, he's had a few good games, was in there running and throwing cutout passes um, for tries um, for for his team. I said Trevor Hosea had a couple of charge downs in this game, seems to be putting in the hard yards, maybe rewarded with a gold jersey, or at least a naming in the squad in a couple of weeks. He's a local product, isn't he? He is as well. And then you're thinking about Hodge as well, and then you... I don't know, if you're getting other sort of players coming up and coming through, then you're going to start to get a bit more of an identity or at least a following that fans can get behind and watch the same guys for a few years. Because I think that's the big problem. That was the main issue I had with this year and not seeing a guy like Tom English that's been there almost forever and he suddenly just disappeared because I always felt like he was a guy who had probably the most grit like in that back line usually wanted it the most. Yeah, I think that's true, and that's good perspective. Like you, and use an analogy of the AFL. So recent years have introduced a couple of new teams, and it's taken a long time for a team like the Suns or a team like the um, Giants, the Giants, to establish an identity. And obviously, the Giants have done it through becoming successful. A few, you know, obviously a wealth of draft picks, and you know, just just you know, gone up the ladder gradually and developed a style by being successful consistently. And then the Suns, to me, from the outside and a very shallow familiarity, is just the Gary Ablett show, wasn't it? For a while, as the only guy you mm. knew for play with them. Did Carmichael Hunt did his stint there? Um, was Falau there? Was Fla- no, no, Falau was Giants. He was at the Giants, that's right. So, like, th- through maybe less success, the Suns have got less of an identity, but it definitely took a while because these teams come into being and they get a lot of support and a lot of um, special treatment for the right reasons that you're trying to make them competitive from the get-go because you've got established clubs you're up against. Um, the the Rebels probably haven't had a consistent group. Maybe even the fact that the force were forced to fold and a whole lot of guys came in from another club and blended whatever they were developing. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a part force group. And you look at the force now, and obviously they've got, this bit of history where they got booted out and they came back and, you know, they're fighting to prove that they're worthy of worthy of being considered in the in the five Australian teams for any competition going forward. There's a clear identity there. They've got something to prove. The Rebels just kind of haven't found that spot in amongst the other Australian teams and an identity yet. And, Arch, I think you're right that that's going to... It'll come with time. But to me, in terms of how it affects the way they play... I don't know from the outside what they fall back on as their basics, as their fundamentals, because I don't know what their uh, character or their style is. And maybe that is because there's a whole mixture of guys, a few stars in here, a few development guys in there who aren't that cohesive when mm. times are tough. That that said, if next weekend they come out and they beat the Reds at Suncorp... Um, I will not all... be on the podcast. That all that all suddenly changes and suddenly their their culture is success and um, once we get in the finals you're not going to get rid of us sort of thing. Before we talk about that, obviously end of the 2020 season for the Force. Um, we hope that they will be back for a 2021, whether that's a domestic season with Super Rugby AU again. We have had some names named um, by Rennie to hang around back in Queensland. Um, to most likely be named in an extended Wallaby squad. Um, unfortunately, John Lance not not named in this one. But three 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 names coming forth: Kyle Godwin, Bynard Stander, and Felidi Katu'u, um, who's the hooker that played for them as well. So those three have been named and asked to hang around along with uh, a whole host of Waratahs that are now getting together and waiting for some fellow teammates to join. But that's that's the likes of most of the people we sort of thought would be there. The men like Jack Dempsey, Rob Simmons, Harry Johnson-Holmes, Hooper, um, Jake Gordon, Jack Maddox, um, along with some new names like Will Harrison, James Ram, Tom Horton, Angus Bell get a call up at least to hang around for the initial squad as well. So some exciting times for that, but also good to see a couple of Force names um, are hanging around and showing that it's it's possible um, to make it into the gold jersey even from the west. Yeah, that is. Wait, good. so it, is that the reserve hooker? 
the guy that scored the try. Oh no, sorry, that was the Rebels goal, wasn't it? The guy that is he starting or reserve? Well, he was the starting at the start of the competition, but Reddy started on the weekend. Yeah, and had okay. a great game, um, Andrew Reddy as well. I'm actually course, getting but... him confused with the reserve Rebels hooker. I think a similar similar style to them, don't they? Two who's got the big hair. Yeah, 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 yeah. I is it so? Is Fergusley Warner, Kyle Godwin, in him? No, Barnard Stander, Fergusley Warner, oh, not man. named. So that's yeah. To me, Fergusley Warner was a standout, and obviously we we had some some tickets on John O'Lance, who you know maybe recent weeks up until now wasn't quite at his best, which I think is disappointing. I think he's a, a stalwart now of, of Australian Super Rugby. He's got two titles uh, to his name, and he's he's over there applying his trade for the force. I think deserved inclusion. Um, but yeah, like I said, Arch, good, good that there's a few people involved. Kyle Goldwyn will be excited. He, he had some, some pretty decent showings in, in the last yeah. few weeks, particularly, um, very involved, like the most active player probably in that back line coming in to, to get the ball in all sorts of situations and really pressing the advantage line, trying to break through and, and giving them that little bit of extra go forward. So Congratulations to those guys. That's good, and we'll see if uh, show their show their skills in the the reduced squad when that comes about. And then we move on to. Would you guys like to talk about North versus South New Zealand now, or do you want to hang with Super Rugby AU and finish that off? I think Super Rugby first. All right. So we had Suncorp Stadium, the Reds and the Brumbies, and you're right, Toby. We did sort of pick the Brumbies only by a couple, thinking they'd keep it close. But what we asked is for the Reds to show some new tactics, push on some Brumby weaknesses, make them think twice about if they're going to have to play this team again in a couple of weeks. And that's what exactly what we got. The Reds started out strong, started out hard, put points on early. And really, the Brumby's only able to get one try through the work of Pete Samu just before the halftime break. Other than that, it was all the Reds, um, 26-7. to 7. Some great performances out of Patea moving back into the centres. Tate McDermott at nine up against Wallabies incumbent Nick White. Um, the back row for the Reds again, very strong. And the scrum for the Reds really seemed to dominate um, the Brumbies here. And there's actually been a bit of controversy with people like Alan Alatoa coming out and, and saying that um, they, they're getting too easy a run and, and um, they're, they're not actually staying within the laws at this stage. But the Reds, they get it done and they go into the finals um, with a win over the top team in the competition. Yeah, really, really solid game. I think that after the Brumbies uh, getting shown up, I, I don't know how much they turned up for this game is the only caveat um, to, to their performance. Like knowing that you're through to the final and they're going to, whoever's going to play against you is coming to Canberra. Uh, not a whole lot to play for aside from a bit of momentum. Um, the, the, the antics after the game with the comments about the scrum, I think that's, that's just trying to chip back at the, at the Reds momentum and, and confidence that, you know, the Brummies acting like they've, they've noticed something and they're letting the refs in on the Reds little secret on how they're, how they're dominating in scrums or, you know what they're what tactics they're applying and just trying to make the refs more aware and look if that doesn't if that has absolutely no base potentially the refs are now thinking there is something that the reds are doing and they may be uh, not so deserving so it's a bit of mind games it's a bit of um, propaganda and and just verbal tactics but um, sure you know that's that's normal we see plenty of coaches dig into a bit of that. Um, a standout player for me again was Patea. We we didn't think he'd be moved in off the wing because we we had a feeling Brad Thorne was developing him out there, but he certainly showed how strong he is and and why we were talking about him in such confidence last year approaching the World Cup as being a superior choice to someone like Tavita Kuradrani. Uh, just a quick quick one, you guys compared to Rico Yuani, that's that's a player who I think Patea could develop into a very similar style of player as Rico Yuani. Physically, how do you how do you how do you uh, size them up one versus the other without uh, without Googling? Well 
I think Geordie's slightly bigger man. Geordie. Uh-huh. Rico. Oh, yeah, sorry. Thought you were talking about Barrett suddenly. Uh, Patea versus Rico. So Patea is one centimetre taller. And yeah, Patea is lighter. Patea yeah. is one of the Rico's taller. That's right. And I and I did as well because my initial after seeing Rico play in the North South game, I thought that's he's an amazingly dynamics outside center uh, when he's in his top form, and that's how I see Jordan Patea. Like the the line breaking capacity, the um, the the way he makes defenders uncertain and flat foots yeah. them with his little goose step. Like if he if he develops that really power running style. He could be a very similar player to Rico Yuani. And then I wanted to sanity check that just by looking at their actual physical measures. And they're almost the same. Jordy gives a bit of weight, but he's and he's pretty much he's a centimeter taller. So he's actually got the height. Um that's that's the sort of player I think he could develop into. And we saw some of that uh in this game and just such a dynamic runner with the ball and making defenders so uncertain. And unfortunately, Tavita Kundrani, I thought, had a really Average game, didn't contribute much, had a couple of drop balls, not all his fault, probably a couple of passes weren't that great. But um, you compare one with the other, and, and it certainly shook my uh, conviction at having the Simone-TK combination for the Wallabies when you get someone like Patea being fit and healthy. Bit, a bit of recency bias, but you know we were saying it all last year too, so you've got to remember that as well. I think you need to also understand how dominant the Reds were at the breakdown and at the ruck in this game um i think it really started because the brumbies weren't really able to get front football and bailey kunzel has had some good flashes um since coming in for noah but when it's getting balls under pressure he is not equipped well enough at this stage in his career um to make something happen and create some space he's much more likely to shovel the ball on and then it does put Simone and TK under pressure. Mm. Uh, that's, he does that's, get a bit frantic. That's what I thought was probably one of the bigger worries for this Brumbies team because their forwards weren't able to gain sort of good momentum against this really strong Reds pack. And it made me think if, if Noah's anywhere near sort of close in two weeks, um, I think you'd have to take the gamble and, and put him back in um, to try and give yourself a spark in case um, it happens again with the Brumbies taking on the Reds in the final. It was certainly a weak spot that they exploited, Bailey Queensland. Under pressure, shut down the forwards, pressure the 10, and you're right, Toby, he, was, he did look very frantic. Um, Simone wasn't as as strong in this game. The, the passing for the Brumbies was really uh, out of character. It was, it was inaccurate and, and throwing balls behind players. Um yeah, it was, it was not not a typical game out of them. They just seem to be at a level of intensity below where they usually are and a level of focus, which is why I wonder if it was partly that this game felt a little bit like a dead rubber, one that they had to travel, get through it, and then really there was a bigger task ahead that they were more focused on. So obviously we'll see. We really, well, I don't know about you guys, I hope it's a Reds-Brumbies final as well and the, the Rebels just go by the wayside this week, but... Uh, really good. I think this is this is how we set up the narrative for a really good grand final. If the Reds can dominate the Rebels in in Queensland and then head down to Canberra, you've got you know most recent game Reds have won. They've picked them apart, uh, found their weaknesses, and actually uh, overcome them at some points of strength. And then the Brumbies have to rally and and find a bit of mental momentum to to take them on and, and the Reds will be up for it. The, you see the energy in that group just keeps building. Yeah, I think they just, they, they've got to be careful to avoid any sort of injuries. If they, you know, if they get ahead in the Rebels game or something, I'd be using my subs as much as possible. But um, I don't think the Brumbies had any injuries out of this game. So they'll be, no. they'll be pretty, I think they'll be pretty well prepared in the next two weeks. I don't think this will bother them too much. I think it's an irritation, but... I don't think by any means it's going to knock their confidence. It's a different game playing down there in Canberra. Um, it could be less than five degrees. You know, like it could be a very cold night. I think that does have some sort of impact on the Reds when they go down there. I know that they came very close last time down there, but um, I think the bye week might play into it. Does it, you know, work for the Brumbies or against them? Um, 
might suggest that maybe they have two weeks to really work out any weaknesses in the Reds and really try to implement that into the final. Another another dominant performance out of Fraser McRide as well. Uh, Archie already mentioned that really gave them the go-ahead early on. Continues to be just a, a nuisance and pilfering machine at the ruck. Really, really handy for the Reds making turnovers at crucial times. Uh, Dalgunu was strong again, and good to see. Good to see they they have all those centers back as well. They've got their mm. seemingly their choice of Chris Fawaisatia. Um, Hunter Paisami came in off the bench, had a had a brief impact, but looked fit. It was good. Jordi Patea survived the game. Always good to see. Um, yeah, and uh, they've got the they got the Smith brothers back too, which is actually um, that's actually yeah. <laughs> It's nudged. Um, Ruan. Who's it, who's it nudged off their bench? Um, the 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 new the new big prop. Yeah. Um, Can't remember his name. The blonde, blonde guy. Ngor. Oh, Rongor. Yeah. Rongor. Yeah. The I just Smith like the Daniela's are... like Not... scaring Ruan. It's like round two. It's coming did you up. Just see, you didn't see um, Rongor sitting on the bench, not not involved, and Taniella's being subbed off and starting giving him wet willies from behind <laughs> during the during the last ten. So good no, fun. good good mood around Reds camp. Um, hope they can stay fit through this Rebels con- contest, and hoping they get the win there too. The only other person I wanted to highlight, I think Jock Campbell is again putting together some good performances. He's not. He's again not that not that bigger man, but he keeps sort of making breaks and setting up sort of good efforts and setting up good tries. He's going to turn into a hell of a Super Rugby player, um, if not getting a chance at sort of higher honours. But next week, yeah, obviously, I was I agree, Arch. I think he was he looked excellent in in the footage that I saw, and he just has an elusiveness about him, and I think. You're right, maybe his size is a factor in terms of looking at the next level international selection, but he looks electric with the ball in hand in this system. So my comp for, for Jock Campbell is Will Jordan, who a year ago looked slight, had good moments, didn't dominate. This year looks a bit bigger, comes out dominating everywhere. And um, Jock Campbell's only giving up a couple of centimetres and giving up about eight kilos at the moment. So yeah, really, for me, it's, the it's a weight thing. It's a weight thing. But fundamentals, absolutely. That That's another player who we're marvelling at from the New Zealand competition. And I think Jock Campbell absolutely has the the skills and you know the potential of a Will Jordan. And that's once we're moving towards the next generation, people like DHP aren't being selected back there at fullback and we're looking towards the early 20s selections like Jock, Jock Campbell has to be in conversation. I think James Rams, hopefully, I mean, he's more of a winger, obviously, but he's kind of in a situation I think Jock Campbell was in last year, burst onto the scene, and he's had a great follow-up year. But, um, yeah, I mean, there is a lot of talent in that Reds back line. I think they make the most of, of what they have. And even if you're keeping um, Bryce Hegarty out of the team, you're doing pretty well because he's a pretty savvy veteran. So... It's great to see that Jock's been able to stand up um, on the top stage of Super Rugby. So moving to next week, obviously Reds get to hang around and Suncorp um, play in nice familiar territory. Rebels coming to town. I mean, last time these two teams sort of came together, um, we had the Rebels not being able to score a try at all in that game. We had Tamua leaving early. Um, the time before that, we had the... The draw going to super time. I know Leo's thoughts. Toby, do you think there's any way Rebels come close to a win here, or do you think this is going to be one-way traffic um, with the Reds again? I don't. Yeah, I don't see the quality in the the Rebels forwards to actually be able to get the ascendancy, and I think the Reds are just going to maul them up front. Um, the backs look. The rebels have some quality there, but I just don't think they'll set the platform in the forwards to actually be able to unleash them properly. And they have so many changes across that backline week to week. The centre pairings are changing constantly. Um, Tamua could be back at ten again. I know he's at ten in this game, but I think they looked a bit better when Deegan came on and and Tamua shifted out. So I think the smart player would be to actually give Deegan a second shot at that starting role at ten. Um, but then you got to sacrifice Billy Meeks. 
And then do you have a combination of Tamura and Hodge in the centres? I'm not sure what's best. I think that Campbell Magne is probably not up to it at the moment at 13. Reese Hodge, again, he's he's just plugging holes everywhere. DHP's back of the back, so Hodge is moving around the back line. It's not ideal. I just think the Reds are a much more stable team. And I think their forwards are just going to be up for that battle. I think they've they've just got better players in the forward pack, and I think they're going to dominate. The the most scary selections, and I'm, and I'm not particularly worried about the Rebels, but if I if I had to pick the team that I think has the best chance that worries the Reds, it's definitely Tamura at 12. Give give um, give him another run at 12, and I think guys like Brad Wilkins should be starting. Yeah, I, I really Richard don't Hardwick understand why the Rebels went back to that sort of Hardwick and uh, Wells back row. No, unfortunately... He's, he loves Wells. He loves yeah, Wells. Wells is all right, but, but Richard Hardwick just adds nothing. I think this is... He had one pilfer for the season going into this game, and he did, did manage to pick up a couple more, although the first one wasn't deserving. Because he's just this, he's this lazy style uh, of, of getting the hands all the way around the player and just trying to kind of make it look like the player's lying on the ball. But the, the pilfer he got awarded in early in this game, he was nowhere near the ball. The ball was out the back. So I, I just, unfortunately, I just don't respect him at all. I think Brad Wilkins a much better player. And Brad Wilkins does get on the ball much more quickly and with much more uh, success than, than Richard Harwick's. Is Wilkin a six slash seven though? I don't think he's just a standard open side. He he's got more size to him, does he? He's Maybe more like not. a Liam Wright kind of build. Yeah, he could um, be. But I he, thought at the Tars he was spending seven. more time at six, but maybe that's just because Hooper was there and he never got a look in at seven. But yeah, it's, Hardwick is an overly aggressive player that lacks probably the technical expertise to actually do a lot of what he wants to do. And that's been a that's been typical of his game for a number of years. I think um, Vessels does like him as a player. Um, he has his favourites, Vessels. Like I just don't see the makeup of that back row and that type five. I just can't see. I can see Nice running causing some problems. Yeah. I think Jose and Philip are, are capable. I think the Reds' front row is going to absolutely dominate the Rebels' front row. And then you've got a handful of guys like Hardwick and Wilkin and... You know, Michael Wells, like, how can you compare that to Liam Wright and Harry Wilson? Like, it just, you got to, you got to think the Reds at home are, are going to get, going to get this and continue to roll on to the final. Yeah, I, I certainly do think that. But if they, if they get, give themselves the Tamua Hodge uh, centers combination, you get guys like Wilkin in over Richard Hardwick, um, Cameron Orr, Ulysse, like, th- those are the guys that if they all, form up well and play well as a team, I think they give, give the Reds a run. Um, and, you know, there's enough breakout talent. You've got Marika there, you know, he can do anything on his day. So th- there's a chance there if they pick that squad. But if you're resting your hopes on Richard Hardwick and um, Campbell Magne, like, they're just not, not really at the tier required for a starting Super Rugby team. Do you give Tuttle another go at nine? coming back home to Queensland. Yeah, I don't mind Tuttle, actually. I always liked him when he was at the Reds, and he, he kind of just got usurped from from his injuries, and then yeah. Sarovi and McDermott were, were just sort of maybe the new young hotness at the time. Tuttle was a really consistent kicker, um, and he's fought his way back into a, into a team. And uh, compared to Frank Lamani, I think his service is a bit more consistent. So, yeah, I'd give him another run. He and Deegan, I think, are a reasonable combination. Like that's a that's an they're under, very experienced. Yeah, it's an under uh, appreciated combination um, potentially. That that you know that's it's not flashy, it's not showy, but if it delivers you the right platform off the back of the forwards, mm. um, I, I I think that's yeah again that's probably the the most threatening combination for me as a as a person who wants the Reds to win. For me, I just I think we saw. We saw it last week um, with their lack of finishing ability against a force team. And while the force were standing up well in defense, I think they've probably not got much compared to what the Reds are going to show with that defensive line as a bit of a brick wall. So 
Unless the Rebels... I feel like they might put it together for 15, 20 minutes, maybe sort of in the second half of the first half or something, or coming off the break, and they'll look a bit dangerous and you'll question it, but I feel like the rest of the time in this game it's going to be one-way traffic. Uh, The Reds aren't going to be afraid to run it out of their own end. They're going to use the scrum. They're going to use the line-out and maul to their advantage, and they're going to start to cut, um, cut this Rebels team up with some lines from Patea and Dalgunu and Jock Campbell coming through. I think the the celebrations the Rebels would have had after that win, which was pretty uninspiring overall, to be honest, and <laughs> I think they're going to be very short-lived. Um, and I think, look, I think next year, is it's an interesting question to look at teams for next year and the format of, of whatever competition we have, and I think that's probably a conversation for another day, but... The thing that really helps the Rebels is the fact they're in Melbourne and that's a big market and there's there's money there and they're privately owned. So there is, you know, there is a lot of incentives with keeping a team in Melbourne on the eastern seaboard rather than having all those travel um, costs with going to Perth. But if you, you know, like in terms of um, how deserving teams are, I don't know if you can argue... The Rebels are hugely deserving of staying in Super Rugby given their record over the last few years and the amount of talent they've had come through their systems. But equally, look, the force losing all those games, it's it's not particularly helpful. But we'll have to see what happens going forward. I just think look, a win here for the Rebels could do massive things for that team, but I just don't see it happening. Is Wessels the coach next season? I don't think so. Unless they win this game. I think, honestly, I think automatic firing if Hattie lost to the force. I think that's, you know, that's unforgivable. Um, if he keeps it respectable in this game, perhaps he gets an, an opportunity to keep his job. But I I honestly think that roster needs a real clean out. Um, and they do probably need to rebuild a little bit. I think they're kind of between... You know, they're almost trying to be like, well, we're at our peak, we're, we're, we've got the players, but they don't really have the players. I think that they probably need to do what the Waratahs are doing. But again, that means that you're not going to win as many games, which means you're not going to get the crowds. And so it's it's a very delicate line that you have to walk. You don't want to completely bottom out. Um, I would think that, I don't know what how many years he has left on his contract, but you can see how stressed he looks. That That's not a guy that's comfortable in his role, I could easily see him going. I want to know how long Wessels does have left. I think he's a, like I think he really cares about this team. I think almost his emotion gets the better of him. Like he needs to get a better handle on on his own personal feelings about how the team's going. The passion is there. I think time has shown that perhaps his coaching ability isn't quite up to standard. Um, I think people are talking about really him for can... Wallabies, like. A couple of years ago. Yeah, but that's that was when he was doing a lot of good things with a, a force team, and he made the uh, transition to Melbourne. But since then, nothing really good have, has come of that. Other than one five-game stretch of winning um, with they the Rebels early. They did that two years in a row, where they had a great start and just fell off the cliff. And they they nearly they threatened to lose to the force to miss out on playoffs. That's. This is not a good history of consistency throughout the season. Mm. It's so up and down. So Wessels has one year left after this. He's contracted to the end of 2021. So they've set themselves up in a position where, you know, through cycles and and movements of players, um, halfway, <clears throat> halfway to the next World Cup, they're in a position to, to change. But I, I think absolutely, like what he's done with his team, with the assets he's had at his disposal, has been less than the sum of his past. And it's it's been, you know, great in in moments, but it hasn't been all that great recently. And this team, I, I don't really want to see them fragment because that means various guys I don't really like that much as individual players will end up in teams that I think are quite good at the moment and I don't really want to see them change but you know if you spread some of that talent which just seems very densely concentrated but not well utilized um, back to the force like that's that's where you know potentially you, you have some some 
players to build around and you start that process again. I wouldn't mind seeing that. Honestly, I think that's the best outcome. Gives you the chance of developing some other teams who, who will not have this stench of, of recent rebels around them. Yeah, I don't know yeah, if you I... get many names going back to the force. But looking at this weekend, um, I'm taking Reds, Toby. What Red's sort easy. of margin are we thinking? Uh, Reds by eight. Leo, you probably like the Reds more than that, don't you? Yeah, a little bit more. Um, I think it's easy money for the sports gamblers. If I'm if I'm putting a line on it, I think it's I think it's closer to twelve. I think they'll I think they'll get out in front and they'll hold it. And may it just depends whether they whether they do like Toby said, pull the subs in early and and try and give their guys a, a bit of a a break rather than giving them 80 minutes of bruising. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think there's probably room for it to tighten up a bit late, but I think it's a, it's a pretty much a two try margin. Um, and that's if it doesn't blow out entirely. I, I just don't know if the reds will put the energy into a blow blowout for the sake of it. The bookies seem to like the rebels more than we do, because I mean, often in games they have them favorites, like against the Tars or something where you don't really see it. And I mean, this one, they've set the line at eight. And I hadn't looked at that, but that's. I think that's conservative given. I think it's just because of what's at stake and because it's finals football. Yeah, some people might tighten up a little bit. Things are generally tighter. But equally, the Rebels were favoured by 14 against the Force, and they barely scraped through on that one. So make of it what you will. I don't know. I think the, the Reds should do this pretty comfortably. And if they don't, I'd be very worried about the final, because I think the Brumbies are going to step it up three levels. Let's look across at the North versus South game um, back here in New Zealand. Obviously, we've had a couple of weeks without any rugby here. We had this game getting pushed, changing locations, but we finally got to see what we wanted. Uh, A version of possibles versus probables, some new combinations, North Island versus South Island, um, coming to us from Wellington, and it was... An impressive performance. It was a bit of a spectacle. Some outrageous tries on both sides. Um, with the North wearing the black jerseys, South wearing the white jerseys. And in the end, it was it was decided at the very end by Will Jordan. We already mentioned him earlier. Kenning up, getting high, taking a kick from a uh, crossfield kick to above his head to crash over the line for his second try of the night and to win it. For the South Island um, against against the run, really, the North Island looked like they had a bit of a a roll on um, at a few points in this game. But yeah, what do you think, boys? I think you're right. The I, as I tipped the South for uh, for loyalty's sake, but I did think the North had a better roster, and for much of this game, the North were particularly dominant. Um, some of the support play. The breakouts and, and then the tries that were scored was just phenomenal. The the back three and 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 some of the outside ranging forwards down the line, guys just breaking tackles, getting insane offloads away, and probably more importantly, just the decision making and the timing of what is essentially a simple pass, but picking the moment when you've made the break down the line to throw that that ball back inside. Before the before the defense really compress and and spoil it for you, it was just textbook, it, and it was really great to watch. Really exciting, like nothing and, nothing to nothing to go on in this game, and just just being you know pulled out of my seat onto my feet with a couple of tries watching at home. Um, yeah, a really great spectacle. And then South were probably lucky to rip off a try, and then obviously the the final one to clinch it and, and steal the lead. It's... It's exactly what you're saying, though, and it's even more impressive when it you consider that these are two teams that have come together with a lot of players that haven't played together um, for about five or six days before this game, and they are getting those timing of passes right, um, passes that we don't usually see in Super Rugby for the first couple of weeks start to um, meld together for teams and go to hand. And it just screams how strong the New Zealand system as a whole is, that they can develop players in different teams that can then fall into a similar system when they're in their their national squad. These guys just understand the style of play, the opportunities there, and, and the support is just relentless. There's just always 
players coming through behind an extra set of hands to 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 you know generate one more pass, one more guy um, involved in the attack, and many players having multiple uh, touches in the attack, and that's all the more impressive when you think away the way players are, are coached to you know draw the man, often take contact and throw the ball late enough that the man is completely eliminated. If you're taking contact, a lot of these sort of later hits off the ball are generally stopping the runner or possibly even knocking them over if that player's committed to the tackle. And yet you see McKenzie and you see Rico and um, Sevi Reese like all bouncing those those knocks and just continuing on and, and keeping up with the ball. Um, just just so enjoyable to watch. And um, it sort of worries you a bit that the, the New Zealanders could probably put out two national teams that would beat most pretty much every other national team at the moment. Um, it's just it's just great how how deep their their talent runs and how they all seem to fit so well together. There there really wasn't much of a blemish on this game at all. Can't think of a player who who didn't have a significant impact. There are a few who are a bit a bit light on on involvement. Guys like Jack Goodhue I thought was a bit plain. Certainly outshone by Anton Leonard Brown, but for the most part, everyone did their job and it was really exciting. And pretty ominous for the Wallabies if you look at these performances. Like it really was another step up from Super Rugby. Um, even if you see some of the really high quality New Zealand derbies that we tend to enjoy during the season, this just really felt like a whole other level, almost on par with international level, I think. And yeah, it's it's, it's it should be a, a fixture every year, I think. And some players or are even three. About, I think that's too many. Um, I think this. Just having a, a really good lead into the international season before the squad's announced, um, I think it has a, a great place. Every every year you have that big game at the end of Super Rugby after the final, um, and the Wallabies should be doing a similar thing. They should be doing green versus gold jerseys. Whether you want to just mix it up completely or you want to have, you know, the gold being the more favoured players and the green, you know, vying for those starting jerseys. I think you could do a real mix. Um, and I think you could get like Matt Taylor coaching the green team and Scott Wisemantle coaching the, the gold team and Rennie overseeing both. Like I think it would be an excellent thing for Australian rugby um, and whether you do that instead of like the State of Union or whatever they, whatever they were talking about with mm. New South Wales and Queensland because it's more inclusive that way. Um, doing Doing guys that are, what, the top 46... Australian players in the country leading into the the Bledisloe or the the rugby championship. Yeah, I don't I don't like the state of union concept as a you know is it just feels like it's emulating league too much. I think you need. We already have it. Yeah, essentially. I think I think you need to um, draw a supporter base for each side through some means. So green versus gold where one team's the incumbents and the others are the challenges, I think potentially at times could just get a bit one-sided. I want to feel like these teams have a chance to be equal. I don't know how, I how think, you do that. Particularly the thing like, about this, you do a draft system, right? So you have the full um, pool of players and you, you go one pick after the other, the coaches pick the guys yeah. they want. And you wouldn't and, need to publicise that necessarily. It's just well, a I way think, of I think of make it live. It. I think oh. have the guys there and bring them up, like next pick Michael Hooper and then you bring it up and you just do it back and forth and you see see these teams kind of start to form developing and the taste of the different coaches yeah that just appeals and to you, my fantasy sports angle I, I don't yeah, know if everyone would be up for it I think that's entertaining though like yeah. someone gets Easy Nice O'Reilly I'll take Rob Valentini okay well I'll take um, you know Pete Sami like it's that's really interesting I think the tough thing about that though is like the logistics of picking these guys in the moment and then like the next day oh you've all got to be in camp in Brisbane like so, but as a concept yeah. and as a selection aid, I think it's a really valuable concept, and I think that's what it should be for New Zealand and what it should be for us if it gets implemented here. Because as soon as it becomes something a bit bigger, and there's a trophy and there's a three-game series, and now it feels like you know there's something really significant to be won, I think it goes away from being a selection aid and the tactics change. If you lose the first game, now you've got to, you know, be more risk averse and, and just try and, you know, win the second game and stay in it. And I don't think that lends itself to the exciting style that we saw on the weekend, which was much more open, 
take all the risks like don't do things that are silly but but certainly try everything and there was a few good little um sort of trick plays almost there's a couple of times they formed malls in midfield which is not saying you see very often like a structured forming a mall off the back of a line out that wasn't actually in the line it's in the battery of yeah, forwards yeah um running in the back line and, and that was just interesting it's like okay they're trying this and and you can sort of see why they're just implementing a few new little tactics and like that that keeps it really interesting and unique and if, if it turns into a series that's got some history and some sort of sheep station you're there to try and win I think that detracts from the opportunity to just let the players let loose and let them uh, treat it like their opportunity to impress against their best opponents and and try and win their spot in the squad and they're only really there they're there for their team but they're also there for themselves and and it's a no holds barred in attack I think that's you know, you don't want to give them a reason to to play more risk averse. Yeah, three three games there'll be more injuries. They'll need a bigger squad. It just gets more complicated. I think a full tilt one off game every year that you know is coming before they start the international calendar. Um, you give them two or three weeks after whatever final there is. It's like a hangover cure. It's just like a a really yeah. high octane game to follow up what may have been a disappointment for you know some supporters of another team and you give everyone just a oh we don't really care who wins and loses i've got a soft attachment to the south island but ultimately if it's a good game i don't really care like that that makes it approachable i think you could coordinate with australia new zealand as well in terms of having them on the same weekend um and then maybe have the squads announced you know the following monday or whatever well Um, whatever works for both countries but that's exactly yeah, what they just... did here. They obviously announced the squad um, immediate or the day after this game, and we saw a few sort of uh, debutantes named in the squad. Names we expected to see, like Will Jordan, Hoskins, Satutu, um, other names, Kalen, uh, Cullen Grace, Caleb Clark, Quinton Strange gets the call up, and Alex Hodgman, the young prop from the Blues as well, uh, some of the debutantes, and... It really lines up. I think there's a squad of 35, um, but 11 Crusaders players, 10 from the Blues, 6 from the Hurricanes and Chiefs, and 2 from the Highlanders. So it really links up pretty closely to the standings of um, of Super Rugby R2 Rower as well. Chiefs not too many. get so many. Yeah, not too many guys that I think deserve to be there that, that were there. I think maybe the only person would be Lachlan Boshier. I think he's probably someone a bit unlucky. Uh, Josh Uwani. Tom Christie and um, who, who's the other guy for the six for the Crusaders? Sanders, is it? Yeah, well, Cullen Grace was there earlier, but Sanders but also was, played eight. He's number eight, isn't he? Sanders oh, was okay. great as the South Island eight um, on the weekend too. Yeah. It was really so impactful. There's, there's a few probably loose forwards there that maybe could you could make an argument, but they're just so... They're so loaded at those positions anyway. Locke looks a little bit thin. Um, you know, if they were to lose White Locke or Patrick Tupelotu to an injury, then it would be quite interesting. You're left with Strange and, and, and Vi, the 20-year-old sort of debutant. Yeah, it's 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 probably the thinnest I've seen for the All Blacks in a long time. Um, but I think you'll you'll find that Brody will be back in the next year or two anyway to bolster that up. Mm. Um, but overall, look, looks like a great great squad um not too many holes there i think they see rico as a 13 now he's been named as one of the centers yep um obviously got anor and and goodhue there as well on alb so they've got they've got plenty of depth really it's just really finding i think the the best starting back line for example i think that's going to be tough well now they've got a few weeks because um bledisloe is slated to kick off um on the 10th of october is the first game they're hoping to have. It's not confirmed um, when or where at the moment, but it sounds like that's the hope that they'll have the first game, then the second game a week later, and with making sort of further arrangements in terms of the rugby championship, although that did take a step back uh, in the last couple of days with six Argentinian rugby players um, confirming positive diagnosis for COVID-19, um, which really puts a hamper on on the idea of Argentina making an appearance um, in in the New Zealand bubble for the rugby championship. I think South Africa and Argentina are out of this one. I, I really do think it's going to be a, 
a Bledisloe only kind of four game series or something. Um, which I mean, it's not the end of the world. Too many? I just hope that like I love, I love my Bledisloe rugby. Why four? I'm not sure. Is there going to be fatigue? Because mm. imagine if it's one sided and you've, they're playing oh, I, four. I think there's going to be an issue if the All Blacks are putting thirty on us every game. I think that's going to be a real mm. issue because what if that happens? If it happens once, fine. You go okay. Well, we can we can bounce back. Happens again. Then you got two more of them. Like, that's, that's right. Just, where do you go from there? And it's it, does it almost further delegitimize the Bledisloe after eighteen years of an Australian drought? So. It's um yeah it has the potential to be a little bit embarrassing for the the Wallabies if they're not ready, and going off the the caliber of these this New Zealand squad, they're gonna have to be really on the on their game to get a win. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the the Argentinians are now on a on a hiding to nothing to to get a squad that's that's not gonna have uh, question marks around them. South America's struggling generally with with COVID, and and South Africa's no better really. So in our in our little Australasian bubble, it seems like that'll be the way to go, and um, it'll be interesting think, to see what what happens to those teams. Like the Haguaris, like what's their future as well? Like they're they're yeah. so isolated there now. Um, it's going to be a very interesting sort of off season for for these sides, and and you know we talk a lot about the Australian New Zealand competitions, what they'll look like. Haguaris, strong team, traveling pretty well uh, the last couple of years, really. You know, developing a following and what's their future? Who knows? I think that's that's the problem. I think the fact that Argentina are not in the rugby championship that's further going to, you know, well they move or, they already Argentina allowed those super rugby. Yeah, they already said that those Haguaros players could pursue con- contracts in Europe. Um, so I mean, they gave them that sort of outs clause so earlier. Losing, you're losing the Sunwolves and the Haguaros in the same year, and it's. It's a really sad end to, you know, super rugby as we know it. Like, COVID has really forced things to, to move quickly. And, and yeah, it looks like South Africa might be in the pro, whatever, pro A team, whatever they're going to call it, from maybe even next year onwards. And it does really mean that Australia and New Zealand need to get their act together and, and make sure that they get together a product um, that's, you know, valuable for, for viewing rights and, and broadcasters coming in to purchase that. Um, and whether could it be standalone again, that's possible. It could just be Super Rugby AU and Aotearoa for another year next year, which would probably help the forces case. Um, but yeah. That was that really was the thought landscape. this year and then potentially having like a cross-code sort of final. Um, so yeah. having sort of the top the number one teams play, the number two teams play each other, number three and so on. So every team gets another trans-Tasman sort of game as well. Um, there's still sort of chat about this Hawaiian-based MLR team, which hasn't been included in the MLR for next year, but has the backing of a lot of sort of prominent um, previous All Blacks and whether that's going to make a push for that to be included in Super Rugby. So, look, even if you did manage to get that sort of... New Zealand based for a year and you do get a Japanese or another sort of type team um, based in the Australian competition as well and suddenly you get six um, each sided sort of things that can sort of build sort of further I think the most important thing is that they are looking in the future, they are trying to make progress, they are trying to um, put down sort of um, they Fresh are trying to sort of make make, make ties, yeah, with um, different sort of nations and developing teams, so that they do have something to expand into. But right now, it's not about that. It's about the finals of Super Rugby AU and seeing who gets to face the Brumbies in two weeks' time at GIO Stadium. Who could it be? I think we know who it is. If it's the Rebels, I'll be very surprised. Like I said, if it's the Rebels... Prove me wrong, Rebels. <laughs> there you go, Rebels. A challenge to you guys. Prove us wrong. That's about all we have this week on the Running Rugby Podcast. Uh, make sure you are tuning into our socials on Instagram at Running Rugby Podcast or on Twitter at Running Rugby Pod. And make sure you're downloading and listening to us anywhere that you find all the greatest podcasts. We're on all platforms there. Toby, it's been a pleasure to have you back, mate. 
it's been a real breath of fresh air. Um, try not to run away uh, to the Mediterranean again too soon. Maybe maybe try and watch a bit of rugby this weekend. I will, mate. It's um, look, summer's officially over here, so I'll try and keep, I'll rein that in for you, and I'll I'll make sure I'm paying attention to the most important thing in life, which is rugby. Look, mate, I'm I'm prepared to make this a regular thing, so certainly keep yourself available. Yeah, for the addition, right, he's, not, committed. he's not done too bad. I'm in a committed relationship with you guys. Oh, that's what we like to hear. A committed relationship with this podcast and with running rugby. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Keep on running. Run.